This event in our first reading, often called the Binding of Isaac, I think is one of the most haunting stories in the entire Bible. Abraham has been given a blessing in his old age. Finally, he has a legitimate son. And this son is going to be the father of nations. He's going to be the first in a line of descendants promised to Abraham. And yet, Abraham is asked by the Lord to sacrifice his son. Now, there are ways we can get around the haunting nature of this. Our approach to the Bible as Catholics allows for certain interpretations that can kind of give us an easy way out. One is to realize that one of the main problems of the Old Testament books is dealing with monotheism. The Jews are struggling with what it means to have one God, and particularly because most of these books of the Torah were edited and compiled during the Babylonian exile, based on pre-existent material, but still edited at the time where the Jews had failed so hard to worship only the one God that they were kicked out of their homeland. And so there's a very strong element in the Old Testament that suggests nothing can happen without God suggesting or requiring. And so you'll see, for example, in the book of Exodus, every time Moses goes to Pharaoh, God says, I will make Pharaoh's heart hard so that he doesn't let you go. Why would he do that? God seems to be at cross purposes with himself. But in the Old Testament, they have to say, Everything comes from the one God. Otherwise, they fall into polytheism. They fall into the idea that, well, some things are coming from our God and some things are coming from the Egyptian gods, and they fall into the polytheism we see in the Greek epics. And so good and evil in the Old Testament, all of the things that happen in the Old Testament are placed in the hands of God. God commands this, God commands that. But the Catholic approach to the Bible is such that we're looking not for exactly the literal sense of every passage, but what was the author trying to do with that passage? And we can say, well, in many cases, the author is trying to show us God is omnipotent, God is all-powerful, everything unfolds according to the plan of God. But as Christians, as we've engaged with this, and particularly through the theology of Augustine, we've come to the realization, well, God doesn't cause evil. Evil is a privation of the good. It's something good that should have happened but didn't, or should be there but is not. And so God is the cause of all things. He is the creator of all things. But when things are out of proportion, when good doesn't exist where it should, that's not God's fault. He doesn't command or desire evil, even though the Old Testament will often show him doing so because of the literary style used by the Old Testament authors to show his power and omnipotence. So with Abraham, one way to get out of the horrifying nature of this story is to say, well, this is a literary convention. Abraham felt compelled to sacrifice his son, and because of the way that the Torah is written and the way the authors are trying to convey their message, it has to be God telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, another way through it is to believe that God did tell Abraham something. It's our approach to inspiration. 
When we talk about how the scriptures are inspired by God, we Catholics do not hold to the idea that God whispered every word in the ear of the author. This is generally what the Muslims believe about the Quran, but it is not what the Catholics believe about the Bible. We believe that God inspired the authors, but the authors then use their own approach to literature, their own approach to language, their own approach to storytelling to convey accurately and well the message that God gave them. Well, similarly, we could say that the Bible is telling us today Abraham was inspired to sacrifice his son, which is to say God was calling Abraham to do something grand, to do something extraordinary, to show his faith in the Lord to show how much he loved and was devoted to God. And Abraham lived in a time and a place where child sacrifice was very common. And so Abraham, feeling this inspiration, looked around at the religious rites that surrounded him and said, well, if I need to do something grand for the Lord, all of these people are sacrificing their children, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And so in that sense, you can say, God inspired Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham interpreted that inspiration according to his own time. But then when he got close to actually doing it, God was like, hey man, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Like, hold off for a bit. There are other ways you can show me your devotion. I know that you want to do something grand for me, but I am going to stay your hand. But the third way that Catholics can approach this reading is to confront the full horror of it and to believe the words on the page that God, in fact, asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. What would it be like for us, and again, you can have any of these interpretations, but I think it's helpful today to confront what would we do if this were true? So what would you do if God asked you to do something like that? How would you respond to the Lord saying, I gave you this incredible gift, this gift that you're defining your life around, this gift that defines our relationship, and I'm asking you for this gift back. It's the Lord's gift. He gave it. By justice, Abraham should never have received the blessing of Isaac. And so by justice, Abraham cannot hold on to the blessing of Isaac. He has to, by justice, give Isaac back to the Lord if that's what the Lord demands. And we hope and pray that that's not the kind of God that we follow, but strict justice still demands that Abraham do what the Lord has asked him to do. How would we respond to that? Abraham is described in our Eucharistic prayer as the father of faith. And it's because of this story that he receives that title. He believed in the Lord so deeply and so extensively that he still believed even as his hand was holding the knife and it was going toward his son that the Lord would somehow take care of him, that the Lord would somehow bless him. Abraham believed so thoroughly in the Lord that he did whatever the Lord asked him to do, even in the horror of that request. 
This is the foundation of a school of thought in philosophy called existentialism. A guy named Soren Kierkegaard wrote a very extensive essay on this passage. And he talked about the inability of Abraham to convey this call to anybody else. Because to kill one's child is immoral. You can't do it. By the lex gentium, which is to say the moral code that all cultures and eras have always shared, the moral code that's so clearly built into us, by lex gentium, everyone agrees that you are not allowed to kill your children. So had Abraham been confronted by Sarah or by anybody else on his way to Mount Moriah, he would not have been able to convey why he was doing what he was doing. There is no argument he could have made that said this is the right thing to do. He was alone in his faith. He was existentially alone in his faith. This decision and action he had to take was going to define who he was, and he could never talk to anyone else about it. No one else was going to understand. That's the level of faith that Abraham shows us. And again, it's immoral. But he trusted the Lord so deeply that somehow Abraham had to accept that he was going to kill his son and simultaneously accept that God was going to protect him from it, protect him from the wrath that comes from murder. Now, the God that we follow is not a God who would demand that of us. Somehow, if we're going to take this interpretation that this is a request that God made, somehow God knew that at the very foundation of the people of Israel, at the very founding of that people, there had to be the idea of this level of sacrifice. Because otherwise, when God himself made that level of sacrifice, we would not have been able to comprehend it. The Jews would not have been able to understand the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow God knew this needed to be part of the genetics of the people of Israel. This level of faith and this level of sacrifice. So that when they saw God himself carry it out in Jesus Christ, they would know what it meant. They would have prepared for 1,500 years to receive this sign of faith and fidelity, not on their part, but on the part of God toward them. It's a necessary thing that they should have. And so God had to choose one man, Abraham, to be the father of faith, one man who would trust the Lord so deeply and so extensively that we could have this story at the foundation of the people of Israel. But then God knew in that that he would preserve Abraham from having to carry out the act. That he would give Abraham a ram in substitute. Again, at the beginning of the people of Israel to show that God himself will provide the sacrifice. God himself will sacrifice his son. Abraham, though he was willing to follow through with it, would be protected and saved from that because God himself would take it up. Abraham is a unique individual in the history of our faith because he was chosen for such an existential burden. He had to carry this so deeply in his heart. He had to do such a terrible thing out of faith in the Lord. But God showed us through Abraham that our faith will always be rewarded, that God will always take care of us.
And that if we trust God to the same extent that we trust Abraham, that we will see the same blessing that Abraham was given. Now a final note. In our gospel, and our gospels and our first readings are always paired during Lent. These are supposed to be heard and interpreted together. In our gospel, we hear, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. Now, receiving the story of Abraham, we might be tempted to an individual approach to Christianity. We might be tempted to say, well, I have been given the same existential burden as Abraham. God has asked me to do something that I can't explain to anybody else, and I'm going to do it, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And we might use this gospel to justify that. I'm listening to Jesus. None of these other people are listening to Jesus, but I'm listening to Jesus. And my friends, unfortunately, this is how conspiracies start, this is how paranoia starts, this is often how schizophrenia expresses itself, and I talk to people in that state of mind all the time. We have to be very, very careful with that line of reasoning. Instead, we have to remember the teaching of the Church, particularly articulated in Dei Verbum, one of the four great documents of the Second Vatican Council, that says that the revelation of Jesus Christ which is to say, God speaking to us through his word, who is his son, the revelation of Jesus Christ is expressed to us and comes to us through two branches. God, through Jesus, reveals himself in the scriptures. And God, through Jesus, reveals himself in the tradition. That we have an interpreter, a faithful interpreter of the scriptures, of the life of Jesus, in the church. And so we are not the father of faith. We are not Abraham. We do not carry that same existential burden. Instead, we have a faith, and we have a church, and we have 2,000 years of tradition that help us understand what it looks like to listen to Jesus. And if we become lone rangers, if we say, oh, well, the Lord is speaking to me directly, and I have a revelation that Thomas Aquinas and Augustine did not, I have a revelation that the popes could never understand, we're not actually listening to Jesus. Jesus gave us a church so that we can be sure that we are following him, so that we can be sure that we are following God. If we separate ourselves from that, from the scriptures and from the tradition, if we believe that we are the new Abraham, then we are liable to start killing our sons. We are liable to do something horrifying and believe that we are acting according to the word of God. We are blessed to not be the father of faith. We honor him and we love him. And he gives us the genetics that bring us the Judeo-Christian faith. But we are not the father of faith. We inherit him. We receive from him and from the church. We have to show his same level of faith in listening to Jesus Christ. But we should also give thanks that we don't have to live in that existential burden. Christ has spoken, he continues to speak, and we can be sure of what he teaches.